God, you are our refuge and strength. And you are always ready to help in times of trouble. So, we will not fear when earthquakes come. And when the mountains crumble into the sea, let the oceans roar and foam. And let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. Because a river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells with his people in that city, and they will not be destroyed. From the very break of day, God, you will bring protection. Yes, the nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble, but your voice, O God, thunders And even the earth can melt. The Lord of heaven's armies are here among us. And the God of Israel is our fortress. And you, O Lord, cause wars to end throughout the earth. And you break the bow and you snap the spear. And you turn the shields with fire. And so we... Your people will be still. And we will know that you alone are God. May you be honored, O God, by every nation. Will you be honored throughout the world? And may you remind us that the Lord of heaven's armies, maker and sustainer of all creation, you, O God, are even here among us. You are our fortress. We ask that these ancient words would take up new meaning and space in our hearts and minds tonight, Lord God. We ask that we, as people who have been invited to live this way of Jesus, as we gather, as we listen, as we pray, as we watch for you, we ask that you would not hide from us, In fact, we ask that you would make yourself known. In the ways that we need you the most. And we pray together. As we survey the vast many things that are not right in our communities and in our homes and in our nation and in our world. We pray, Jesus, as you have taught us to pray, and we ask that your kingdom would come. Your kingdom that is just and whole and pure and good and holy. Would your kingdom come? And would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? And we, the people of 8th Street Church of the Nazarene, ask that that prayer would begin to be answered in us even tonight. And this is what we ask. 
In the name and spirit of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, if you would. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Throughout the season of Lent and now into the season of Easter, we have been walking through Ephesians. We did so with intention as we came into this new place that we call our home, the 8th Street Church. I have some friends who have Bibles, and uh, we'd love to lend you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible for this evening, you can just raise your hand. Somebody will bring you a Bible. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. If you don't own a Bible or you don't own this translation, we give this to you as a gift. Just take it home with you and read it all the time. Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 18, and I want to invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word together. So hear the word of the Lord from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, through the rest of his letter. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all the believers everywhere, and pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so that I can fully explain, the, explain God's mysterious plan, that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador, so pray that I would keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. To bring you up to date, Tychicus will give you a full report about what I am doing and how I'm getting along. He's a beloved brother and faithful helper in the Lord's work. I've sent, you to, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters. And may God, the, may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. And let us say together, thanks be to God. You can be seated. One of the things that we know about Paul was that he was a church planner. For the last number of months, we have been going through this letter because we, my friends, are a new church. So these last words that Paul gives to First Church in Ephesus are really important words. We have been journeying through this letter together, and we have been shaped by this letter, and this letter has been extremely important to us. And when we come to these last words, we might find that they aren't important to us. But these last words, as I told you in the call to worship, are called words of benediction. They have a personal touch that both recap all that's happened from his very first verse of the very first chapter all the way until their future. Now, if we're not careful and we're reading Ephesians, we can blow right by this, these last words. We're at the end of Ephesians. We've gotten into the new building Everything is wonderful, the stained glass looks nice, soon the sod will come in. We know we're coming to the end of this thing. Over the last few weeks, we've come together to celebrate and to worship with our joys and our hopes, our struggles and our baggage, and our purpose for gathering every single week has been to hear good news in the midst of all of that. At this point, we've been pretty satisfied with what we've heard, so here we are at the conclusion, the very last chapter, the very last verses, and it feels like it's time to go home. 
But the important thing is that we look for good news all the way to the very end. And we lean on the teachings of Paul, and we must receive our benediction. Uh, A benediction is a means of grace, and you and I cannot live very long without grace. Benedictions are final sacred words. They're words that give life and they're words that give meaning, which is a necessary element to keep us alive. And it helps us to do good and it helps to live virtuous lives. And once we're sent from here, we get to live these virtuous lives until we can meet again. Now, there are things in benedictions that we should listen to. And now as we've been preparing to come into this new home, as we prepared for Easter, as we've taken on a new name, as we've worked to do this good work of God in this space, and as we've walked through Ephesians, we've recognized that all of this has been significant. Ephesians is a book for the church, and Ephesians calls us to grow into maturity with Christ, and Paul's benediction, while it was for those people then, is also for us. You notice that Paul doesn't say, see you later. He doesn't say, have a good day, or he doesn't even say goodbye. You know what Paul says? Pray for me. Now, some of you remember that we, before we even started this church, we met in different places of the city for prayer, and on several occasions, we met here in the unremodeled 8th Street Church. At other times, we met at City Prez Church, and still others we met at, in homes. One evening, we met in the being remodeled home of Brent and Mikhail Levine, and at that time, it was nothing but dust and demolition. I remember Brent, he was so dirty. He, he looked like he could take a shower for a week. I remember that night, we, we talked about some of the things that we hoped, and I remember in that, in that house, it smelled like a church basement. In that place, we, we talked together before we prayed, and one of the things that we did was we walked through these quotes of people that we appreciated, and we felt like these quotes would give guidance to our conversations, and these quotes would also give guidance to our prayers. So here were some of the quotes. Uh, this first one I love. Everybody wants a revolution, but nobody wants to do the dishes. We talked about what this meant before we decided to go to prayer. We talked about this one, ideas for the common good will never be enough. We wanted to be people of action. This one that came from my friend D. Kelly, we proposed that as we plant this church, that instead of arguing until someone wins, we'd like to be a group of people that listen until someone feels heard. We said, uh, we, we reminded ourselves of this great a- 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 African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with others. John Wesley gave us this quote, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw whether it be clergymen or laymen, such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. I've gotten to watch you do some incredibly courageous things. 
And then this one is my favorite from Uncle Bud Robinson. Oh, Lord, give me a backbone as big as a saw log, ribs like the sleepers under the church floor, put on iron shoes on me and galvanized breeches, give me a rhinoceros hide for my skin, and hang a wagon load of determination upon the gable end of my soul, and help me to sign the contract to fight the devil as long as I got a fist and bite him as long as I have a tooth and then gum him till I die. All this, I ask for Christ's sake, amen. Uncle Bud Robinson could not read, but he certainly had a way with words. And then there, on the night before we prayed, I had to confess some sins to you. Before we started the church on that night in Mikhail and Brent's house, I confessed to you that I was afraid. I, was, I confessed to you that I was full of fear And yet, while I was driven forward and this idea was in our mind, I I was scared. But as we've been reminded every single week in our responsive reading, the good news is this, that while we were still sinners, God died in solidarity with us. And this journey is not one that you and I have to do do alone, as Paul did not walk on his missionary journeys alone. Jesus is with us. We are with one another. This thing that we do called church, this thing that we do called life is something that we do together. So I want to ask a favor of you. I want to ask you the same thing that Paul asked. I want to ask you to pray for me. I I want you to pray for me. As, As one of your pastors, by doing this, I I don't want to be afraid to be a good leader. I, I don't want to be afraid to move in the, into the future. I, I want to be full of wisdom. And I want to be mature. And I want to be strong interpersonally. And I want to have discernment and humility and above all, purity. So that through me, like what Paul said, the gospel can be proclaimed. This is what he said, pray also for me. Whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. I want to ask you a favor. Pray for my family. Pray for Holly. Pray for Annabelle and Watson. Pray for me as I prepare the sermon for next week. Pray for us as we think about the next steps at this church. Pray for the rest of our pastors. And that's a weird thing to ask because I hesitate in asking. It feels egocentric and it feels narcissistic. And it would be if if it was just left at that. But... But it feels like I'm, I'm this recipient of all the prayers or something. But I think Paul is setting an example here. He's calling the church in Ephesus to pray for him. And so I'm calling the church to pray for me, if that would be okay. Pray for me. Pray that I would have courage. Pray for me to be an ambassador. Pray for me to speak clearly. We would all benefit from that. Pray, just pray for me. When you go to somebody and you say, would you pray for me? Do you know what you're doing? You are inviting others into your, into your life. You're becoming vulnerable. You're inviting them into all of the hopes, all of the dreams, all of the joys, all the, disappointed, the disappointments, the baggage. But when you do this, 
When you ask somebody to pray for you, every time you ask somebody to pray for you, you become vulnerable. And in doing, asking you to pray for me, I become vulnerable. And something happens when we become vulnerable with one another. We grow stronger. We grow. We mature. So while I ask you to pray for me, I also invite you. Pray for one another. Care for one another. Love one another. Be vulnerable with one another. Just don't pray for me. Pray for one another. And know. Know that I pray for you. I keep this little book. It's red. I call it my pastor book. And every time I meet with somebody, I jot a note down about our conversation. And a lot of times I'll pause as I look through that, as I look through that book. Uh, book, and I will prayerfully say your name, and I will remind God of who you are and what you need and what we talked about on that day. I've been praying for you since before I knew you, and I have been praying this benediction, Paul's benediction for you. So that's the first thing he says is pray for me. The second thing he says is I send Tychicus, my friend, my good friend, and he will tell you what I'm doing and how things are going with me. He'll certainly, he'll, he's certainly a dependable servant of the master, and I've sent him not only to tell you about what's happening with me, but to cheer you on in your faith. Now, for six chapters, Paul has been scribbling down the joy that comes in being invited into a relationship with this triune, mysterious triune God. And over the last couple of years, we've been able to see the love of this triune God lived out in real time. We've seen it in one another, and we've seen it it, um, as we've moved into this church building. A couple things have happened. We've been welcomed as a new family. We are a new community. And the practices that we've been embodying have changed us. Think about the last couple of years. We have new friendship. God has created this place where we can let our souls out. Because as my friend Barry Brown says, souls are shy. You and I are connected in new ways. And Paul says, I send you Tychicus. Now, that seems like a strange thing to us, but how, so how does Paul saying that he'll send Tychicus remind us that we are now newly connected? I send you Tychicus, he says, and Tychicus will tell you everything that's going on with me. He'll fill in the blanks. He'll be there when I can't. And we ask, who is, who's Tychicus? Well, Tychicus is this buddy of Paul's. And uh, the first time that he's heard of is actually in Acts chapter 20, when he and Paul went to preach in Ephesus, and after their preaching, a citywide riot broke out. And while not much is mentioned about Tychicus outside of this Acts passage that we have, we know this, that Paul is sending the message of great stuff by his friend. In other words, the message of the gospel is sent in a body. Paul says he's sending Tychicus, who's this great servant of the master, and he'll, feel, he'll fill the church in on what's happening. Genuine Christian community is about bodies. It's about real people who are showing up. It's about being present in one another's lives. It's about carrying the message of goodness and the message of hope and being those carriers of goodness to one another. 
So we have a Facebook page, and now we have an Instagram page, and now we have this new website, and it's live. But you and I, you and I know that we cannot be an authentic Christian community by living only in digital relationships. We can't have real relationships by texting or emailing or even phone calls. We are people with bodies, and we show up. We're present. We do this thing together, and it evokes the question, what was Tychicus when he came, when he showed up, what was he going to talk about that wasn't mentioned in Paul's letter? Well, what are the things that you talk about when you get together? Sometimes we think that the church is about songs and sacraments and Bible studies and prayer meetings and mission statements and minutes. The church is a body. It's a group of real-life people that show up, beings with bodies that are just trying to figure out how to make it on this journey. And when we come together and we talk together, we are the ones who are filling in the blanks. Our conversations and the time we, we have together and the things we talk about, uh, about what's going on in our own lives are filling in the blanks. We are a community, so we talk about our families. We are a body, so we laugh a lot. We are friends, so from time to time we can be vulnerable with one another and cry. The church is not just about liturgy and lectures or classes and readings. The church is also about meals together and knowing people's names, and frequenting favorite establishments, and unrolling sod, and planting trees, and coming together for weddings, and making small talk, and giving birth, and grieving during the times of death. Church really isn't churchy. Church is lifey. And Tychicus was present. He had a body. He was real life. And he carried a message of goodness in his body to a group of people that Paul loved. It was a message from his friend. The other thing that Paul says is this. It's one of the last statements he makes. He says, and I say to you tonight, peace, my brothers and sisters. Peace. I hope for the peace of God. I wish for the peace of the Almighty to land upon you. Paul is this Jewish Pharisee, and he understands benediction. And through Tychicus, he pronounces benediction on his friends in Ephesus. Peace. Jesus prayed, and Mikhail just prayed a few minutes ago, may your kingdom come. And Paul prays, peace. In other words, may all that, God, that all that is God's and the fullness of his kingdom be made realized and be made known and now in you. The Hebrews had a word for this. They called shalom. And shalom is what we hope for and live into. Brueggemann says this, shalom is the biblical vision of one community embracing all creation. It is living into and participating in love, loyalty, truth, grace, salvation, justice, blessing, and righteousness. To say peace to someone or to say shalom to someone has power. It's calling real-life people, it's calling uh, into real-life people well-being that exists in, the, in a world that has threats. 
from sword and drought, from wild animals. It is a well-being of a material, physical, historical kind. Not a pie-in-the-sky pie kind of well-being, but a salvation in the midst of trees and crops and enemies. In the very places where people with, have to cope with anxiety and struggle for survival and deal with temptation. It is a well-being that Paul is extending of a very personal kind. And it's for everyone. It's for young and old. It's for rich and poor. It's for powerful and dependent. And Paul knows that a benediction doesn't mean, hey, we'll see you, or goodbye. He knows something sacred happens in a benediction. Benediction means that we value our time together, that we value the persons that we're with, the friendships that are formed, the opportunity to pray for one another, and we value that others pray for us. Benediction is this great gift of blessing. Implied in a benediction is the hope that soon we will be together again. But if we can't, there are some things that I need to say and some things that you need to hear so that we both can be reminded of who we are and who our God is. And it is a reminder we're all in this together. You know, the shalom that we hope for ourselves, for one another, for our world for those we love and for even our enemies, is realized in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And he gave us this gift. He gave us the gift, the invitation to join his family, the gift to be included, the gift to experience a saving work toward which this benediction points us. And here we are invited to his table, where it is where we become family. At this table, we stand before all of God's blessings, and together we receive the gift of life. If we want to receive it, it's offered to us. Shalom comes only in the inclusive, embracing community that excludes no one. And as Jesus has been the very best neighbor to us, we get to have the blessing to be very good neighbors to one another. We get to invite people to be good neighbors so Jesus called his 12 disciples around the table and he offered them friendship and he offered them his forgiveness. He offered them shalom. shalom, And he asked them that night to pray for him. And we know that he prayed for them. And then he gave his friends this benediction. Love one another. So at dinner... He took the bread and he gave thanks. And then he broke it and he said, this is my body, my friends, which is broken for you. And whenever you eat it, I want you to remember me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he held it up and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And whenever you drink this, I want you to do so in affectionate remembrance of me. It is here where we are invited into this community. It is here where we are reminded that we get to pray for one another. It is here where we are reminded that He showed up, and now we get to show up for one another. It is here where we receive a great benediction until we see Him again. This is Jesus' table.
and all who are open to this work of God in Christ are welcome. And Jesus' table is a declaration that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and there will be a day when you see him again. So I want to invite you to this table. And I want to let you know that we want no barriers. Our bread is gluten-free. Our wine is non-alcoholic. But I want you to come down our aisle with, our center aisle with your hands cupped, ready to receive that which is good and that which comes from God. Shalom. We do not take communion here. We receive it because it is a gift. So I want you to allow one of my friends to serve you. Listen to what they have to say. Dip the bread into the cup and be grateful. If for any reason you cannot come down our aisle and you need assistance, please just wave to Justin over here and he would be glad to bring the elements to you and serve you. My friends, brothers and sisters, my family, the ones who I meet at this table every single week, the ones who I've called to pray for me, Know that I pray for you. And together, we get to live this way of shalom by simply coming, by simply showing up. I invite you to this table whenever you are ready to come.